podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to The Fear of God podcast, Corporate Offices. We have spent the last few weeks cleaning things out with our various night shift crews discussing the Fog Facilities Manual Night Shift, written by our old Uncle Stevie. We hope you've enjoyed your time, even if things got a little messy. I am one of your hosts slash foreman, Nathan Rouse. And speaking of messy, with me after these long night shifts is Fog co-host Reed Lackey. Reed! Hey, buddy! Hey. hey how you doing <laughs> we're here whoa we're, look out yeah we're, we're here it's, it's time to party the night true. shift is basically I'm ready, over I'm ready. pulling all, you know, in honor all of, week yeah in honor of the hard work everyone's been putting in we thought we'd have a little quarterly king waffle party dance off are oh, you read ready to I'm dance so excited i'm so excited i've got the syrup i'm i'm ready whoa uh, stack, oh, right well, like, what do you think? This, is, this turned into a different kind of party. Um, if you, oh, wow. constant listener, are wondering how you came to join our final night shift crew, visit thefearofgodpodcast.com for all your foggiest of needs. And speaking of needs, I've got a need to introduce some other folks who just finished their final night shift. <laughs> Heard elsewhere in this series, friends and foggers, it is two of your quarterly kings, Andy Whitfield and Ian Olson. Welcome, fellows. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, boy, there. <laughs> you and Reed, I don't know. I don't know what y'all were up to this this run of night shift stuff, but it it got a little got a little wild. Mm-hmm. For those for those <laughs> listening at home. Um Blake Collier, another quarterly king, was gonna join us, but he didn't come back up from the graveyard shift in the basement. So uh Mm-mm. Mm-mm. maybe we'll go coal huh? in there and get him. Yeah. Keep it warm, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's okay. a different story we're thinking of here. The graveyard shift we'll, we'll goes down to the basement to work, and there's the big rats and the. He giant said something thing. about biting the wing of a mill bat, uh, but wow, I didn't, sure. I didn't catch wow. the whole thing. Yeah, this, this is yeah. going to be a raucous quarterly king. Are you still awake, constant listener? <laughs> this is this is gonna be no what it's what it's very rapidly turning into is inside joke the podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, I I was just actually uh, I'm assuming that was a story that was in the book. <laughs> mm, yes. yes. I was referencing a story in the book and I told where Blake is still um yeah. maybe we'll go hunt him down once we're done see if he's see if he's okay in the meantime we do have another guest it's oh. been a minute since he's been on i don't think he's been on in 2023 yet so he's got some ground to cover ladies and gentlemen friends and foggers andy ian it's lackey the listicle oh. hi everybody <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy 
Oh, hey, lackey the listicle. I mean, you know, it's been a minute. You doing okay? Oh, I'm very, I'm very happy to be here. I'm I'm very happy to be doing what I'm always called in to do, which is count down the definitive top 10 stories from Night Shift, which was much easier to do this time around because there's only 20 stories in Night Shift. So, you know, oh, basically, oh. yeah. So, Versus so basically 20. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of his collections have uh, more than that, but also like I'm not ranking all Stephen King short stories. You know, I'm just basically, yeah. just, you know, the the 10, uh, the top 10 from the Night Shift collection. So um, I do want to okay. mention before we dive in. So it's not just going to be a monologue for me for 20 minutes in. If I if, if, if anybody God. contests, if, if anybody contests the ranking or you you know, have some thoughts on it, then feel, feel the freedom to jump in. If not, then I'll just carry on with the countdown, but I do have you said two. definitive. Yeah. Is this uncle Stevie certified? Oh, it's not uncle Stevie certified. God only knows what, what he would, what world. he would rank for his things. No, no, it's no. This Cujo is era certified. So we can't even rely on it. <laughs> this is we'll, we'll call remember. it fear of, we'll call it fear of God certified. Well, you know, so we'll, we'll say this is we'll definitive list- of the certified. Know. Listicle certified. Okay, I see you're already you're already ready to disagree with me, which I'm which I'm always excited about. Um, so um, so listen, I'm not ranking all twenty of these, though I have ranked all twenty of these, but I'm not going to count all of those down right now. Um, flex, but okay. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention before we get into the top ten, I'm going to mention just two things uh, by way of brief honorable mention. The first, I want to call out uh, the story because we did not cover it elsewhere. This is not like the number 12 or whatever, but we did not cover. It's the only story that we gave no individual segment coverage to in this run. And that was the man who loved flowers. Um, so uh, we did not cover that story elsewhere. It's brief. Um, it's mentionable. I did want to just highlight it's mentionable because, um, you know, we didn't cover it in depth anywhere. Uh, but it's a pretty strong little chiller. I liked it. it. It was fun. So if you haven't read The Man Who Loved Flowers, check it out. I so think you like were kind of the man who kind of liked The Man Who Loved Flowers. Basically, I'm the man who liked the man who loved flowers. Yes, okay. that's that, that, that is a fair statement to make. Um, the other one that I want to call out is number 11, only because it was very difficult to leave it off the list. Um, and, uh, and for a very specific reason, my number landing at number 11 for me would have been Night Surf, which Andy and I discussed in the patron segment. Um, Night Surf, the reason I'm mentioning it is not just because it's number 11, but because reading that story specifically following the COVID-19 pandemic was a special kind of haunting. Um, it is, if you have not read Night Surf, listeners, um, it, it invokes language and narrative beats that given the COVID-19 pandemic are very, very eerie, given that this was written in the mid-70s. Um, and the just like Andy and I talked about in the patron segment, if you haven't heard that, um, just like I said, language choices and all of the different things that had happened, including discussions of variants, discussions of vaccines. Um, the, the virus in that story uh, emerges from Asia, and there's all kinds of stereotypes and derogatory statements that emerge, you know, are referenced in the story as a result of that. So it was very haunting to read that story uh, in light of the COVID 19 pandemic. But that is not part of the top 10. Are you ready? For me to dive into, uh, I'm just I'm good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. chomping at the bit. Okay, uh, a one bit. So can I, can I can I ask something, Reed? What are the yeah, rules? Sure, Andy. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, 
Um, where can I listen to this episode of Night Shift? Mm. How do I get, how do I get this? Because it that is a so really that's a savvy and, and awesome. Astute. Yeah, that's a savvy and astute thing. All of the episodes of Night Shift are available for free with two of the segments, but each of them also have patron-only segments. You can become a patron by visiting fearofgodpodcast.com or by going to patreon.com and searching for the Fear of God podcast. But if you do that, you're going to get bonus stories. Patron segments include Andy and me talking about <laughs> Andy and me talking about uh, the Lawnmower Man and Night Surf. It also includes Ian Blake and friend of the show, best-selling author Matt Ruff discussing three stories. They discussed Strawberry Spring and One for the Road and Jerusalem's Lot. It also featured Nathan tagging up with Stephen Beckley to discuss I Am the Doorway and I Know What You Need. It also featured me and Andrew Nelson, another one of our recurring guests, um, discussing The Woman in the Room and the boogeyman so there's lots of stories that were covered in the patron segment if you feel like you just want more and boy i will say this and this is actually not me like pitching selling whatever those conversations all four of them wonderful those four patron segments were great i loved them all you should check them out pay your five bucks for a month just so that you can catch up on those segments because they were really really fun all four of them loved them thank you andy for that cue up that i didn't even especially, know I wanted or needed. especially so. in i am the doorway when beckley and i talk about uh alien entities eyes being a man's house oh. yeah that really <laughs> yes that is quality audio right there it is it is it's great yeah. it's great all of the body humor it was wonderful um yeah Okay, body, right. body humor. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, time to get into it, y'all. This is my top 10 favorite stories from Night Shift. Ranking them right now. Number 10 is The Lawnmower Man. Boo. So the reason... <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I give The Lawnmower Man number 10, and it was actually somewhat uh, challenging for me to to rank uh, some of these in the... Because it pushed the envelope for, for video... <laughs> special effects in the 1990s. Uh, no, nothing to do with the film. Nothing to do with the <laughs> film at all. Um, but what I will say is Jeez, like cheesy. the lawnmower man, unlike most of his other stuff is basically like a 20 minute, like comedy joke. It's basically like a, a string of King trying to be funny, which he often, you know, it, it doesn't get as cre- as much credit for being funny as he is. Um, but it, it, it highlights his humor in ways that we don't often get to see. And there's really nothing else like it in the rest of the story collection. It's just, it's brief, it's funny, it's gory. And, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of fun. So uh, I love it for that. I love the fact that you can read it really quickly and it doesn't ask very much of you. So the lawnmower man is my number 10 in night shift. Um, (laughs) Number nine is graveyard shift. The, Mm. The movie. Previously, not the movie, definitively not mm. the movie. Um, no, the story. Um, it is, of course, gross. It's grotesque. Um, but, you know, it's got some some strong midnight chiller vibes um, that I really, really loved. I, I do think that the, that the story suffers a bit from some jumbled characterizations, um, and it doesn't have very many people that you, that you want to root for, but it's great in terms of just like if you want what you suspect from King, which is just like big creature feature, you know, somewhat simple concept. Um, and, uh, and, and I just, I really feel like it's one of the ones that is primed for a good adaptation out of all the stories in this. They've had a bunch yeah. of bad adaptations. I mean, Brad Dorff. That's legit. <laughs> I feel like, Check I feel it. like graveyard shift in the right hands, uh, could make a really, really good film, but who knows if, if, or when that will ever happen. The 1991 certainly is not a film I enjoy, but I loved the story and it ranked my, my number nine. Um, 
Hey, number eight, vroom, vroom, honk, honk, it's trucks. Number eight <laughs> is trucks. Um, so uh, it is. Is that uh, the sequel to the Disney mega hit Cars? No. But although <laughs> we should pitch that that's what that is. Ciao. That would be great. That would be great. Um, no, Trucks is more notable than anything else for being the source material for Maximum Overdrive, which is the only film to date that Stephen King has ever directed. Um, but taking the story on its own merits, um, it has genuinely a really chilling final page. Like when things start to go a little wild, we, we deal with this in the segment where we cover it. But when things start to go a little wild, it has some resonances for when they realize that these trucks are basically going to take over the world. And then one of the statements that's made in, in the in the final page is the whole world is paved. And it invoked, when we discussed it, it invoked some really thoughtful conversations about when you try to untangle yourself from machinations, technology, machinery that seems like it's kind of getting out of hand that concept of the whole world is paved, like you're not going to go anywhere that you're going to be able to escape from this. And that's really chilling and it's very effective. Um, so that's why trucks landed for number for me at number eight. Um, okay. Moving right along. Unless anybody has any objectives, just trucking mm-hmm. along, We're trucking you. along. That's it. Um, number seven is quitters mm-hmm. incorporated quitters Inc. Um, this is the story. Wait, where- <laughs> wow. Um, this is the story. It's it's probably one of the highest concepts of any of the stories in Night Shift, um, and it's obviously it, it's arguably one of the most perversely fun of any of these stories. Uh, but it also carries some undercurrents of a richer theme that basically sometimes there's uh, some some arguments to be made that pragmatic extreme effects uh, when they work. Uh, they carry a certain gravity. They carry a certain weight, despite the fact that they may not be moral, they may not be ethical, uh, but if they are practical and they work, sometimes they can be compelling and convincing. And that's one of the most interesting things to me about Quitters, Inc., a man who signs up to quit smoking um, and their methods of getting him to quit smoking are extreme, to say the least. Um, But it also had some considerations that like, well, if it's effective, then maybe your morals and your ethics can take a back seat. And that's a really compelling and interesting idea. So Quitters, Quitters Inc. lands at number seven. Um, it was also not for nothing adapted uh, as one of the segments in Cat's Eye, if anybody's seen Cat's Eye. Um, yep, exactly. Exactly. All right. Moving, moving right along. Number six is The Woman in the Room. Um, woman in the Room is probably one of the most uh, personal stories in the collection to King. Uh, because I mean, when you consider the echoes of his own mother's death and the similarities to the story in the story to what happened, uh, regarding the circumstances surrounding his mother's death and also the fact that he dedicated the whole collection to his mother. So I'm sure that the woman in the room carries a lot of gravity, but more than that, I mean, it's, uh, it's just makes some poignant observations about guilt and grief. Um, in the story, uh, the main narrator is trying to come to terms with whether or not he should euthanize his very, very sick, very ailing mother and uh it is a it is a sad story and it's uh it's it's it demands a lot more of the reader than most of the other stories do but very well worth it uh, and i think it's strong and resonant and it landed for me at number six um we're getting to a top five everybody doing all right everybody still oh. with me uh, yes. all right <laughs> I, was, I was should we try to guess the lackey the listicles top five i mean you can if you want to 
and then I can affirm if the story is there or not. I'll each give you one guess. You can't just bounce around. So you can think okay. through it, and I'll each give you one guess, and I'll tell you if you are right And or not. I think the top six so far, I'm sorry, the six or ten was... Yeah, I'll rattle those um, off real quick. So yep. I'll rattle off those and the two honorable mentions, which are not in my top ten. So The Woman in the Room, Quitters, Inc., Trucks, Graveyard Shift, The Lawnmower Man, and then I honorable mentioned Night Shirt, Night Surf, and The Man <laughs> Who Loved Flowers. My okay? old night shirt. My <laughs> night shirt. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge. So, yeah. So take a guess. An undigested bit of potato. And <laughs> <laughs> more of gravy Andy, than of gravy about you what's uh what's <laughs> one of the ones that made it into the top five uh you asked <laughs> you asked andy and andy is dancing on screen <laughs> okay good guess andrew um <laughs> solid ian name one did i miss that i yes uh i'm gonna say jerusalem's <laughs> lot Hmm. Do you want me to tell you if you're right or not? Yeah. Okay. You are not correct. Jerusalem's lot is not Ooh. in my top five. Oh, you just pissed off Ian. Um, I did. He's leave. He leaves the Zoom call. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs> he's, he's out. Ethan, I <laughs> <left> the Zoom <laughs> call. Is Children of the Corn on there? Children of the Corn is in my top five. I won't tell you where the what placement is, but actually. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we've really made Ian mad. Oh man! Uh, okay, so yeah, well, and Andy just took my guess, so I'm gonna have to. It thinks a lot, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess the last rung on the ladder. That is in my top five. That is in my top well, five. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah last rung on the ladder that, is in my top five. That, that, okay. was, that was Kitty, yeah. Andy. So you mm-hmm. guessed it in the corn, and last uh, rung. So there's three others. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian, Ian got you t- out. Oh, you're so you're trying. We'll to- yeah. So Andy and I have to guess again, and whoever is. I said wrong, you're going to get one out. guess. So this is the last round, and then I've actually know, got just, to get to the list. Improvisational on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next guess is I am the doorway. It is in my top five. It is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> how, how does it How does it feel to have two correct answers? <laughs> Great. How does it feel to have none? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, Andy. Can you can you guess another one? He's Wikipedia night show oh, right yeah. now. He's looking he's looking at what the but- <laughs> um forward? Because no, I did not I did not way. rank the forward. I did not okay. rank the forward. You're out. I win. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. So the ones we named Children of the Corn. Last ring on the ladder, I am the doorway. Okay, cool. Yeah. Take us away, listicle. Okay, well, uh, fitting you mentioned yeah, that last Ian. because that's fine. <laughs> Ian, why don't no, you, you take got one out. more guess just to see if you get a? You did get out, but why don't you take one more guess to see? <laughs> I, if you, I, I got out on Nathan's arbitrary rules. You're one hundred percent. So no, <laughs> no, please, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, I want you to make one more guess, and then <laughs> okay, I'm, then I'm, I'm, I am it's my list. <laughs> Strawberry Spring. It is in there. Strawberry Ooh, Spring is in my top five. Yes. Validated again. Okay. Oh, well, All right. Now so that's we go. four. Now we got to figure out what the fifth one is. See, no, you don't. You, no, I'm okay. starting. Okay. No, no, no. Here I go. Here I go. All right. Number five. Here I go again. <laughs> number five is I Am the Doorway. Number five is I Am the Doorway. Okay. I think it's a pretty chilling concept. That was and it's like, yeah. In its execution, haunting idea. I love its right hook of an ending. Uh, I think it's I think it's really, really great. 
Um, yeah, so it's pretty chilling, and and I love a good sci-fi horror, uh, oh, which yeah. uh, has its invocation there. So yeah, I am the doorway is number five. Number four, the, the eyes have it. The eyes have it. Oh, that's true. That's really creepy. Um, mm-hmm. Number four, oh. um, and I will say this before I get in here: when I was finalizing this list, the top four bounced around a lot. Um, so like in terms of among these four, it was really hard to actually rank these. So. This is where it stands at the moment. Just had to He's, punch Jerusalem's lot out of the way, and then it would. Uh, you know, <laughs> listen, I will mention this: Jerusalem's lot didn't make it because, as much as I love the narrative of the story, the epistolary thing just drives me crazy. I will say that, like, because uh-huh. you guys called that out in the in the segment, but the epistolary structure drives me nuts. I think the story itself is good, but that's why it doesn't make the top. Didn't 10. even just get an honorable be- mention though, Ian. Just FYI. No, <laughs> that was not lost on me, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, number four right now is Strawberry Spring. Um, mm-hmm. Strawberry Spring, mm-hmm. a murder mystery wrapped in a madness tale. It's really cool. I think it it echoes and and foreshadows a lot of things that become strong in King's work, namely like the power of memory, the loss of innocence, the periodic reemergence of evil after a period of dormancy over time. Um, and I will say this for Strawberry Spring. It has my vote for the single best final line oh, yeah. in any yes. of the short stories in Night Shift. Uh, Absolutely. The, the, the last line, I'm not going to spoil it here, but the last line of Strawberry Spring is a chef's kiss bullseye. It is fantastic. And it, it has the, the power of that. It, it makes that story uh, all the more effective. And it was a great story even leading up to it. So that's, yeah, Strawberry Spring number four. All right. Number three. You ready? This is the one y'all didn't guess. This is the one y'all didn't guess. Okay. All right. Number three is one for the road. Yes. Yes. One for the road is a, simply put, it is just a cracking, good, scary story. It's it's really good. I'm glad you picked it over Jerusalem's lot, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It is, um, it's connections Mm. to Salem's lot, notwithstanding you could go into it blind and you're still going to be as affected by it. I think it's an incredibly good, well-told. It's one of the best, like straightforward frighteners in this whole collection. Um, yeah. I think the only thing that it could suffer a little bit of a ding for, for really like picky listeners, is it is a little predictable. But it's still like super creepy. Like even the, mm-hmm. when, from the moment they write out, you know everything that's about to happen. But still, as it's happening, super creepy, very well written. Uh, just a great scary story. Light a and candle, read it on. That's Halloween. what I think its its strength is because doom yeah. is predictable. Like that's the, that's part of what's nauseating about experiencing your doom at first hand is like I knew it was going to happen this way, and I think that one for the road just captures that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yep, nope, absolutely. So number three for me. Number two, and you know, number two and number one are going to be obvious since you already guessed them. But my number two. It's Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn is probably the most popular story from the collection. And some might argue like that deserves a, a place on number one. Um, I'll tell you why my number one, as you could already guess, if you're, for, if you're keeping score, the last <laughs> rung on the ladder is my number one. But um, Children of the Corn, I feel like, and this is the case that could be made for it being number one, is I feel like it is probably the most stephen king of any of the stories like it is you know it's it's technically still short story length but it is like a stephen king novel in miniature this is what he is stereotypically known for it's got 
you know, uh, an easily recognizable flavor. It's grim. It's frightening. It's character rich. Um, I feel like it. Uh, it's easy to see once you read the story why it became so popular that they keep trying to adapt it and get it right, and they keep failing. That short story has had three feature length adaptations, like half a dozen short film adaptations and the first 1984 adaptation feature length spawned like eight sequels. So like people keep trying to come back to the material. And I think that's a strength of the story itself, even though none of those films are really all that great. Um, Okay. So that's children of the corn, but that landed at number two, because I think for me, and this is my list last rung on the ladder is the, is the story that transcends Stephen King's material, and it transcends the rest of the stories in this piece. I feel like, objectively speaking, Last Rung on the Ladder could be held up as a literary work uh, alongside you know, stories in The New Yorker or other literary sort of figureheads um, outside of the realm of horror, outside of the realm of popular fiction. Last Rung on the Ladder is just an incredible piece of fiction. Um, it is resonant dealing with you know uh grief and our responsibility for the bad things that have happened to the people in our lives if you've never read that story we did do a little bonus because we'd covered that story before we did do a little bonus where we re-upped our conversation about that from from an earlier episode um but if there was one and this maybe leads into the story to the question that i'm about to ask you guys because that ends my list if there was one story if i told people like hey you know, I, I'm only I've only got time to read one story and I want to read the best. I don't want to read the most king. I don't want to read the scariest one. I want to read the best, the overall best story in this piece. I would point them to the last run on the ladder because though it's sad and though it's it's kind of heavy, I feel like it is strong in a way that will not leave you once you read it. That's my feelings on it. That has been my top 10 of the stories in Night Shift. So there you are. Ta-da! <laughs> so that leads me to a question. My answer to the question would clearly be the last rung on the ladder. But as you've as you've read through these stories, um, whether you read them all, whether you read just some of them, what? Uh, and I'm I'm going to come to you first, Ian. What of these stories really like stayed with you um, that you would for for good or bad reasons? Doesn't have to necessarily be for good reasons. But what is one of the ones that stayed with you that you would be like, no, this is. I keep thinking about this one or, you know, whatever your version of the answer to that question would be. What's the story yeah. that stayed with you? Um, the story that stays with me uh, is I have to pair Jerusalem's lot with uh, one for the road, um, mm. given how they, they form um, part of that Salem's lot mythos. And although they are very clearly two distinct stories, yeah, I can only think of it as this, canonical sequence um of what i like um so even like i can understand not liking the epistolary format of jerusalem's lot um it's it's very clearly supposed to echo dracula but like what i like about it so much is how he uh king is just absolutely over the top invoking lovecraft and how he describes everything you know there's like mm-hmm. this swirling eldritch chaos you know lurking you know in, the, in the, the the howling abysses you know recesses of the void and and um you know uh nameless ageless things you know peering from beyond the abyss sure and, um, yeah sure 
and it's, it's, it's really some of the phrases like that. I think that, that stay with me. The, um, the, the Lovecraftian thing where you say like, I, I can't even describe it. And then you describe the indescribability of these, sure. these beings. Yeah. Um, but then I, I like how that almost is like, um, um, the, these things older than mankind create these, uh, conditions that Hubie Marston can exploit that, that, that makes this a bad place. And, mm. and then it, and then it, um, in subsequent times is a, is a bad place. And then it has human sized, like, that's my daughter. <laughs> like she, she's yeah, here, right. but she's a vampire. <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, yeah. again, it's, it's the sheer, like, I knew this was not going to go well. Once I said we were going to bring him out there to help his family. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, uh, I think that what sticks with me about one for the road is that it bothers me that I, that I feel like, like I could fall prey to abandon Salem's lot because if you, if I wasn't from there and I'm going through there with joy in the car, yeah, and something happened yeah. and I, and I walked like the first place I found was a bar with these two dudes. I'd say, I need you to help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. I would, mm-hmm. uh, I'd probably fall prey myself. And it, and it, again, it's so predictable. I feel like that's, uh, like I said before, that's doom, man. You, yeah. you know, yeah. all the steps and then you're, you're nauseated. It's sickening. As you recognize I'm walking all the, I'm doing all the choreography. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That inevitable March. No, yeah, I get it. Right. No, no, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's really, uh, that really resonates. I get it. Um, Andy, what would yes. you, what what story stayed with you? Uh, night surf. Mm, awesome. Mm. Deserves um, a quiet night. <laughs> that's night swimming. What? Um, he he's he's referencing the REM song <laughs> "Night Swimming," which he is so uh, happy to do whenever Love night it. surf is brought up. What uh, what stuck with you about night surf? Uh, I mean, kind of what we talked about how people um, we get so calloused over. Um, when big things happen, like, mm. and we, and like when COVID-19, we got kind of calloused over now. It's happening. Ugh, it's happening, you know? And so that, that kind of stuck with me because it, it was, it foreshadowed what happened in the future. So yeah. In an, in a pretty eerie fashion. I mean, it's still, still, it's still crazy to me to think about anybody who reads that story now needs to like constantly remind themselves it was written like 50 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Some of the resonances mm-hmm. in that. I story. know I've told yeah. this on the, I think I've told this on the show before, uh, but my work puts me in contact with a lot of people just in their lives. And around about the time I was reading the stand, mm-hmm. um, uh, I suppose for our quarterly King about it, I met with someone who worked for the CDC. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. this is like five, six years ago. And I just kind of a little cheekily was like, so I got this stand book I'm reading. <laughs> how, how close are we? Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, we're closer. We've, we've gotten closer than you want to know. Like, <laughs> no, he was like, okay, my buddy in Wuhan told me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that was like at least two years before. Wow. Yeah, man, that was anyway. 2018. Totally. I, I, I remember that and yeah 
it still yeah. felt theoretical at that point. It's crazy. It's so crazy. And then, and even more so, like, it's funny that you invoke the stand and we're just re- recently referenced Night Surf because that's the Night Surf is basically kind of uh, a, a potential lost chapter from the stand because Captain Trips is the is right. one of the things that they call it. They call it several other things. Again, I mentioned the variance idea, but Captain Trips is one of the things that is that has done this. So it's it's not uh, inconceivable that Night Surf could have been like a missing deleted scene from the stand just plucked mm. from it. Um, and But one of the things that I loved about what came out of the conversation that I had with with Andy is one of the things we observed was that the stand is largely about how that virus, that pandemic affected the whole world. Night surf drills down into how it affects individual people, which in its own way is kind of even more frightening with to what Andy's point was about like how we grow callous and how we grow really uncaring to our fellow other people. There's a person inside the interior of the story who contracts the the virus and they just they're so shruggish about it about the fact that this guy is probably going to die. And it's just, wow, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's pretty chilling and haunting in that regard. Yeah. Um, Nathan, what uh, story would you pick that stood out to you? Well, because I had never, I had never read the short or seen any of the filmed iterations. Um, I'll frame it this way. My takeaway of children of the corn has stayed with me pretty mm. significantly what mm. i mean by that is <laughs> never let it be said nathan won't take an opportunity to do something like this so rise of skywalker um <laughs> you know how this moment happens in rise of skywalker and you're like wtf you're really not doing this are you and they do it mm. and how now star wars canon is folding itself to meet that story point and it's very frustrating and you just would it's like well whatever uh (laughs) but you kind of wish you're like you had an opportunity and you whiffed and this just is what it is and i'm you know i'm gonna either learn to like it uh or or just be pissy well (laughs) in a much in a much more uh what which Which one am i uh well i'm you know trying to be open-hearted but you know (laughs) garbage movie um um random uh uh parallel there but what the point i'm trying to make is children what i saw in children of the corn the only things i've watched are the original 84 film and the one that just got released Mm. like they totally don't even they 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 major on the minor to me what i saw Mm. in the text Mm. and and so that's kind of what I mean. This Rosicarac analogy is like, oh, you're. I feel like you're missing the good thing. You've you've, <laughs> you've forsaken the good thing in in favor of the kind of populist thing. Because Ian, I thought about you reading Children of the Corn because I kept thinking about our Jerusalem, our, our Salem's Lot conversation. Because, um, to the extent any of you've listened to, you know, kind of all of Night Shift, I reference uh, m- most recently with Beckley how though i don't actually love short story collections because i've got this weird neurosis about like i'm a completist and i can't i hate the rhythm of like starting a short story and finishing a short story starting starting a short story and finishing i'm like i just can i just get a whole story in a book you know so that said i actually really love the short story form and king is pretty exceptional at it and so what i 
got out of Children of the Corn. Um, if you if you've never read it, it starts with this. I'm pretty sure they're married. This married couple in the car, and they are being absolute, absolutely terrible to each other mm-hmm. in a way that drew my attention. I was like, "There's a reason y'all are so terrible." And and one of the things I love about the text of that story is the titular children are only relevant on screen in the last quarter, the last third. Yeah, right. And so at one, I just wasn't ready for that kind of what I would call cool narrative swerve. You know, you're, you're thinking I had not read, I had not seen the movies at that point. So I'm just reading it, knowing the, the pop cultural ethos that is children of the corn and, and it being such a significant work uh, in, in King's canon. So, so the, the fact that the children on screen gets such short shrift meant something to me i was like okay my takeaway from children of the corn was we are such terrible people to each other mm-hmm. and these two this couple is just a representation of that mm-hmm. and what our terribleness to each other has wrought is younger generations there's two paths you can take this swearing allegiance to things that are uh, um demonstrably terrible you know mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. he who walks in the rose or however it's termed which is a pretty haunting phrase in the book mm-hmm. movie it's pretty stupid um <laughs> so there's that path but even just the notion that our meanness towards each other has sacrificed our children just mm. by virtue of it existing at all like mm-hmm. our, our unwillingness to untether ourselves from uh need needing to be right needing to have the last word needing needing all these things that assert our will to dominate someone else's has created this, this blind spot of our entire population. And like, mm-hmm. that was really fascinating to me. And so long went away of getting back to the stupid star Wars reference of just how like that was really fascinating. Can you sell a movie called children of the corn and only feature them in the last third? I don't know, but I want to see that. I'd love to see a crack at that. So that, that concept, that conceit, that idea, um, as it exists in the text has, has, has really stayed with me a lot. Yeah. Somehow he who walks behind the rose returned. (laughs) I see what you did there. I understood that reference. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) man. See, that's how much I want to block it out. You know, (laughs) he's just like, no, Um, no, no. Um, they hit it. (laughs) So, so I will say, um, just as we transition to, to the, next part and and what will be the last part of our discussion though it'll it'll have some probably some room in it for us to to talk a little bit um is i do feel like this is arguably stephen king's strongest collection of short stories i don't i don't think there is a short story in this collection that is bad i think there are some that are better than others and stronger than others for different reasons i rattled off a top 10 but i think every story has merits to a certain degree. And one of the things, piggybacking off what you said, and I feel like we've all identified this, is it deals a lot with some very real sort of fears we have about how we, how external forces will change us, uh, how we don't really know ourselves, and what we've hoisted upon either the people around us or future generations and our children and everything. I think it deals a lot. And 
one of the things that I think I arguably second only to his book on writing, which we also not for nothing covered on a quarterly King. Um, I feel like probably my second favorite piece of nonfiction writing that Stephen King has ever done is the forward to this short story collection, which um, just really throws the gauntlet down. I love the opening line, and then I'll you know use it to invite a conversation that we have. The opening line to Stephen King's forward in this collection just says, "Let's talk, you and I. Let's talk about fear." Um, and you know he goes on to share some things that we can get into, um, but I want to use it as a springboard to kind of invite us. I, I, I'm kind of feeling my way through this in kind of real time, but I want you uh, three and me for us, you know, I want us to do exactly what he invited. I want us to talk, uh, you guys and me. Let's uh, let's talk about fear. Um, both Stephen King's ideas of why we're fascinated by scary stuff and why he writes it and why we read it, but also just uh, the way we engage it uh, in our own lives. So, um Ian, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, Nathan. If that's okay, if I just sort of, you know, round robin, is that all right? You give me the uh, yes. That's all right. <laughs> You're like yes, do it. <laughs> um, I don't know if you Eng- had a engage. different <laughs> engage. No, I didn't know if you I'm had another. Leave the way. Um, <clears throat> the so, line must be drawn here. It must be drawn here. Oh God, all the Star <laughs> Trek references and this make me so happy. So, um, uh. Ian, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with you. I see that hand. Um, I'm gonna start with you. Um, I know Sorry. you. I am start. I'm starting with Ian. Um, Say it again. Uh, you, uh, I think, had said that you'd read this whole collection before, or maybe yes. you know, maybe maybe it's been quite some time. Um, so I'm just kind of. I know you reread the forward for this. Uh, I'm inviting open ended your thoughts on the forward, the concept of fear, the concept of this collection as a whole um what do you, what do you think what i like about it is that um king recognizes that there is something uncontrollable about being a writer of horrific tales so i like that he um because this is not high lit right mm-hmm. it is totally comparable for him to say hey take louis lamore let's 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 both go out into the west and let's look at a well so us both observing this one thing will will dredge up two very different things from the both of us right and um i i like how he likens it to this kind of like obsessive thing and and how it's it's kind of a a madness it just so happens that it's productive and (laughs) And yeah, it, it also happens to make him a living, but I, I like that if he's being honest, and I and I I'm assuming that he is as far as he is able to be, um, mm-hmm. he says, Look, I wrote this because like I felt like I had to write them and mm-hmm. I sold them, but like it's it's in here and I have to do something with it. And he he likens it to having like a, a isn't that an on writing also where he says like if you have something sharp it's going to cut people you know, like and that yeah. can happen yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with he revisits uh, that creative um endeavors uh like like writing um but he it, it's kind of like he is um comparing being the the author of these things um linking it up with how people will say to him 
like, hey, you know, this might sound really weird, but I really liked The Shining and uh, how, the, how there's something kind of like sheepish about admitting that. So I like that he tries to um, bring it out into the light. And I, and, I, and I like that he doesn't say essentially like it's totally um, equivalent to more pleasant things. What, the, the point that I pick up from him um, although he only says he only mentions Freud once when he talks about like Dracula, it's like um, right. proto Freudian. But like the, the the point of like bringing something out of like repression isn't to then like celebrate the thing that you're ashamed of. It's 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 that when it's when you are trying to keep it under the rug of your own consciousness, mm. it is hurting you all the more. But but then like the the problem is the misunderstanding like well yeah look you should uh, it, it can turn into apt pupil when that principle is misunderstood um, mm. Mm. right so it's yeah. not like hey bring it in the open and celebrate that it's <laughs> it's it's bring it in the open because brother if you don't this is going to to sicken you uh, mm-hmm. and not just you because there's something about you me too look this uh, all of us as a species we slow down when there's an accident, <laughs> right? We, yeah. we draw special attention to the people who like take a little bit too much pleasure mm-hmm. in looking, but yeah. look, man, you are lying. If you tell me that you don't. Yeah. Right? And um, I think that my only complaint about the introduction is that, um, and, and here I'll, I'll actually turn it into praise. King does more than he's even aware of that he's doing. He himself, I, I read this and I can tell he does not fully understand what he is doing. Mm. And, and I think that that's also human. All of us <laughs> do and say things that carry an excess or a surplus beyond sure. what I'm aware of it meaning or mm-hmm. what I wanted to. Um, I, I can't help but be a little, a little frustrated that he puts it seems to me a good deal of weight into kind of a utilitarian kind of take on like well horror is good because you know we gotta we gotta confront our our fear and constant listener it might sound like i'm dismissing that i but i'm all for confronting our fear i just don't think that horror is only a way of like opening that valve and letting out a little bit and now we can be like okay again Uh, again a utilitarian function because mm-hmm. I think that utilitarianism in any misguises is always hollow and empty. And, and, and that road is always paved. The whole world is paved with <laughs> the nihilism of utilitarianism. Um, mm. So I think that horror does more quite without his practitioners even knowing exactly what that is. And again, I think that he demonstrates that in the way that he talks. And he's like, you know, maybe it's like... Uh, uh, maybe we got to have Michael Landon, you know, because uh, it's scary being a teenager. So you like imagine turning into a werewolf. That's got to be scary, <laughs> right? Like, I'm yeah. That, I'm not saying there's nothing to that, but I'm saying, mm-hmm. whoa, that that is. Um, and I'm not trying to bang him. I'm not trying to like say. <laughs> and that is called a Freudian slip, and. <laughs> <laughs> We tried so hard if you're to let it go. We just, tried so hard to let it go by. Ian Orthodox so at gmail.com. 
No, no Twitter. Oh, um, that's funny. But, uh, <laughs> just, I'm not up. trying to bang him. I, I mean, man, to prove it, I'll box myself. <laughs> it just rolled off the tongue. It just yeah. fell out. Well, and, and Freud talks about negation. Every time you say, you know, like I'm not. Hey, look, I'm not. Like, you are. You know, <laughs> you are. When you when are. You're, when you're, you when are. you're the best man, you're like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to say he's a douchebag, but you're like, yeah, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. No, just like that, I have undermined everything I said. Thank you for no. this opportunity, Reed. No. I'm so never it's... going to talk again. It's all good. That I don't okay. believe. <laughs> oh, man. Um, getting, well, getting back to what you said about like the nihilism of utilitarianism, I was reminded of Flannery O'Connor's uh, mm. I forget where she where she wrote this, but I love when she's talking about the Eucharist. She's referencing the Eucharist, but she says, if it's just a symbol, then to hell with it. And yeah, that's right. I, I, I think about that quote often yeah. when I think about like the power of certain things, not only as its utilitarian function, but just, you know, uh, like the the power of story to engage mm-hmm. our imaginations and to send our imaginations to some wild places. And, and so I, I, I do resonate with that. And I love that. Now, Nathan, um, earlier you and I were texting back and forth just a little bit about that. And you, and, and you said in one of the texts um, just, it was kind of a flyby, but just, you know, basically your, t- your, your message to me was read the forward, loved it. And that was as much as I got from you about your experience of it. I'd like you to just sort of unpack, like, had you read it? I don't think you'd read it before, but what, you know, what was your, what was your take? Um, I, I read it and I loved it. Um, so Andy, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, please. <laughs> oh, nihilism. Um, is paid so for I kind of, I, I, I appreciate Ian's, uh, uh, critique of it as, as literary and, and, and it being a, a, a means of assessing the short stories to come, you know, for me, um, so much of what we do on the show and, and how the show has evolved over the years, um, just this notion of, of, of fearing things at all of, of what to fear of, you know, so, so what I'm trying to say is the value of the prose of this forward just was further resonance of a lot of the things I think about often of just, um, you know, so much of what we are afraid of in the world in a broad sense is things we've been told to be afraid of by people who want us afraid. Mm. And, Mm. and I think there's such power, such liberative power in starting to really contend with like, I'm going to give an example here. Uh, Really stupid exercise, but recently saw some, some peer actually Facebook page about, you know, LGBTQ inclusion and uh, a church going person of faith responded to them. I, I didn't engage this at all. I'm smarter than that. The, at least that much these days, uh, but I was just observing it and, and observing this conversation play out and the watching the car wreck, if you will. Yes, sure. Um, you know, the respondent was using such charged 
language about how dreadfully they fear for the the souls of lgbtq people and and it was a very Mm -hmm. emphatic very forced very charged type of language and we could even point out the futility of even having that quote-unquote conversation and the format in which it was being had but that's not my point my point was just observing this person who like like i'm not exaggerating the words were effectively i lose sleep at night it's just very incendiary Hmm. heavy charged way they were viewing this thing that you kind of want to reach through the screen and be like hey man like it's okay there are there are things to be afraid of what you've ginned up in yourself is not a thing to be afraid of which actually believe it or not isn't me saying everyone should actually believe the way i do on lgbtq inclusion in the church it is saying let's be cognizant of giving ourselves over to that which we are afraid of and if doing the work of fear of god for six and a half years uh has taught me anything and i feel like it was echoing left and right through this ford it's there are things that are that merit concern even fear Mm -hmm. generally speaking they're not what you think they are let's let's cut up a little bit and defang a lot of the things you think are scary because they're going to give you the ability to do that. As we talked about with monster squad, the ability to do that is what's going to empower you to be able to point to things and say, that is a thing you should be cognizant, aware of, uh, cautious about maybe not fearful. And that might be the wrong word, but you, you three know what I'm saying. Like it's, it's, it's swimming in these waters that, uh, foreshadowing next week the the film we're going to cover leaves a lot of joy in the spirit of a horror tale uh i risk saying too much but point being you can the ability to digest this food Mm. with peers is what gives me the strength to say oh my gosh brother out in the world there are there's a better way to live there's a better way to be in the world yeah. Uh, there's a more fruitful life-giving way to be in the world and you can still enjoy a hell of a lot of horror movies at the same time um <laughs> i don't know if that yeah. makes any sense but th- this is a lot of the the meat of what i was getting out of you know let's just talk about the concept of fear and how well, we engage it and 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 if or when we engage it and what it actually is versus the puppet shows we do to to kind of train ourselves i love yeah uh, I'll, I'll i'll pause in a moment but um in in ways i didn't anticipate there's a moment he says horror literature through the ages teaches us about rehearsing our own deaths and mm-hmm. anyone who's listened long knows i'm a big richard Rohr fan richard Rohr's whole one of his whole tenets is uh the concept of learning how to die before we die and i was like mm. holy cow this is awesome these <laughs> intersections of just if the life of faith is learning to die before we die, what does that mean? It means you don't have to be afraid of this thing. Yeah. And you don't have to be paralyzed and live in fear. We're all just sort of walking this direction. Let's walk it together and be able to name some of this stuff. Anyway, yeah, that's no, some of the well, stuff I got inspired by. I wanted to echo, and then Andy, I'll, I'll come to you in a moment, uh, but I, I wanted to piggyback off one thing that you said, Nathan, because I was having recently a conversation with... <laughs> Uh, somebody dear to me, and that's as far as I'll go, lest they feel um, <clears throat> called out 
on it in case they hear this. Um, Okay. (laughs) No, nobody present. Um, But, uh, but I was. (laughs) And seen. (laughs) So, um, but but, uh, I was, uh, no, I was, I was talking with someone and they were, it's interesting. You cited that conversation you observed over social media about somebody expressing a fear for uh, a fear for other people and saying that they lose sleep over it. I was having this conversation with somebody dear to me and they were saying in this real conversation I was having, I, not that social media conversations aren't real, but maybe they're not real. Yeah. Um, but I was having this conversation by phone with them and they were saying that they had recently in a time of prayer and, and their own personal reflections that they felt that they got a sense. This was the language. They said they felt they got a sense of the heartbreak of God for people who die lost. That was the language that they, they felt they got a sense of the heartbreak of God for people who died lost. And the language that they were expressing to me, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it resonates a lot with what you describe of this person saying that they were feared, feared for them and that they lost sleep over it. And, and that was what was being expressed. Now, in the conversation, I tried to be sensitive. I tried to be gentle. I tried to 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 be loving as I as I could. I don't know if I succeeded or not. But one of the things that came to mind was I tried to express some version of I think what that was expressing was more rooted in their own fears than a reflection of something beyond them. Now, I wasn't trying to denigrate what they were saying, but I'm just saying like, I think that was... (laughs) Wasn't trying to bang them. Um, I feel like it it was a reflection of their own grappling with mortality to go back to the forward of like Mm -hmm. that work of trying to, in the language of Stephen King's forward, of, of trying to discern the shape that's under the sheet uh, he he invokes this sort of morgue language that there's a body under the sheet and trying to discern the shape of that thing um, is more, a lot of times we can cast off. This is what I've observed that a lot of times we can cast off and say, well, I'm just afraid of this happening or I'm afraid for them or I'm, uh, I'm afraid of you know this existential broad big trend instead of saying, I am afraid of what it will be like when I leave. I'm afraid of what it will be like when I move on. I am, I am afraid of this happening, or I'm afraid of that happening. I've, I've, I've said in, in different contexts, in different ways, um, I'll say this, and then Andy, I swear I'm going to pivot to you for your thoughts in a minute. I'm sorry that I keep deferring you, but um, I've said in different ways that like one of the things for me in my early days was I feared a lot what I would call now transactional consequences with God. I feared that if I was not right with God, a whole bunch of bad things would come down the pipeline. And so that if I wasn't, um, you know, if I wasn't in a good place with God, if I wasn't reading my Bible, if I wasn't prayed up, if I wasn't all of these things, then lots of bad things would begin to happen. And what that did for me is what I would characterize now is rooted in a lot of superstition Basically, like if I make a bad choice and then a bad thing happens, well, I caused that, even though they had nothing to do with each other. They were not uh, direct action and reaction. They they were miles apart from one another, but I deemed that the bad things that came into my life 
came into my life because of bad choices I made. Consequently, good things that came into my life, I would begin to pat myself on the back for how well I was, in air quotes, the listeners can't see, walking with God. I'm walking with God well, therefore a bunch of good things are coming to me. Where I sit right now is what I would deem to be a significantly, for me, less fearful place. I'm not as afraid as I once was because I now view the circumstances of life for me in this moment, at this time, almost like the weather. Sometimes it's rainy and sometimes it's, it's, it's bright and sunny and pleasant. Uh, sometimes it's a bit scary or treacherous and sometimes it's, it's just you know the ebbs and flows of the seasons of the world. But when I think about those things, I think you know the scripture says the rain falls on the just and the unjust and that the sun shines on us both regardless of those things. And that has positioned me as I see it to have a better and, and for me, healthier relationship with God, because then I'm not on the waves of fearing that he's going to be mad at me and therefore like dole out a bunch of wrath and judgment. Um, that's a bigger conversation for a bigger time uh, for another time, but uh, it a just positioned <laughs> a bigger time. Yes. Uh, when we have bigger read. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, it's uh, it, it just positioned me more in a place to where I could be less fearful. The whole reason that I was sharing this is I could be less fearful because then if I made bad choices, I could bring those bad choices to my prayer time and could find the substance and the power and the strength to move past them into better choices rather than simply avoiding whatever consequences I was afraid were waiting around the right. bend for me. I could instead bring those bad choices and say, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to, right, to respond right. this way. I want to respond in better and healthier and stronger ways. And that has produced in my season, in my moment, in my life, that has produced significantly better fruit for navigating my day-to-day than who I was, say, 20 years ago. But yeah, that was amen. a much a much longer way of, of expressing those things than I wanted to. But Andy, I have deferred you for a long time and I apologize. Uh, what did you think uh, or what did you pull out from this forward? Either, you know, something we've already mentioned or, or something fresh or new. What'd you, what'd you think about it? I would say that I really enjoyed um, his idea of um, artists to go through their brain. They have to have a, um, it's a, a strainer kind of thing mm-hmm. to get all of the things that come through. And, and he talks about it being like a, you, you have to use a, a knife, you know, to, mm-hmm. to cut it slightly. I think, I think Ian mentioned that yeah, um, yeah, a little right. bit to, to sift through it. Um, and I, I, just, I just find that really interesting and really cool um, that, you know, we, we all have different, what we would call, what we would call sludge um, where other people would not, hmm. or they would like, like, for example, you know, Stephen or Stephen King says, you know, it, it, he gets letters from people saying, yeah, I know it's kind of morbid, but I really <laughs> like the shining when in reality it's kind of like, I know it's kind of morbid, but I wrote the shining. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 And so it's like the same people. It's the it, and um, just creativity can be so many things, and I think we get caught in these like weird 
boxes and horror is one of them and fear is one of them and it's more broad than that and it's bigger than that and mm. it's like what you guys talk about you, you know it, it encompasses everything you know fear, fear, you're not being fearful but fearful it being fear is is the part of life and king does a good job showing us the little things that scare us mm. Out of the grandiose, big, apocalyptic, most of the time, unless yeah. we're reading Dark Tower or what can I throw it back to? Um, <laughs> the Stand, the Stand, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's up there. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk but about the. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, and I, I appreciate you mentioning the idea of the little things that that scare us. You know, it's, it's different when you stare it right in the <clears> face, you don't know exactly what you're, what you're going to be afraid of. So, so recently, um, you know, and as of this recording, I'm still kind of in the, in the throes of it. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that everything will get better, but uh, without belaboring a whole lot, I recently had um, some problems with my ear and, and was going through some things with my ear during uh you know a doctor's visit when they were trying to sort of correct the problem my uh eardrum ripped and so i'd never experienced that before i'd never you know it was it was kind of scary in the moment and then afterwards i had experienced something that is a bit uncommon for me i I joke about it a lot but my my wife could attest to it my son could attest to it like there there are few things that make me anxious but when something makes me anxious it's like it's very evident. It's it's <laughs> present all over me. It, you know, I have a terrible poker face for it. Um, and you know, it it did for a second. You know, just sort of rattle the cage of like, oh, this is a new experience. This is not territory I've charted before. I don't know exactly, you know, what to what to make of this. And and you know, maybe it's not going to be very permanent. Hopefully, not going to be very permanent. Probably not going to be very permanent. But you know, who knows? And 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 don't don't understand that but it was very it was jarring in that sense and you talk andy this about the the and, and king's really good at this about those little those little tiny things that bug us like um and and that's where a lot of that that fear generates because i think those little things can snowball and they can begin to make us respond in certain ways that if we're not this is my take now i'm stepping away from what king observed and just sort of taking sort of my own thoughts with it. I think if we step if we are not willing to step away and really confront those fears, I say confront, we need to have a dialogue with them. I I have said elsewhere uh, maybe on this show, maybe just in other conversations, um that I feel like we need to to a certain degree become friends with our fears because our fears if we're willing to let them can be really great teachers. They can be right. really yes. excellent at identifying for us where we are weak or where we are unstable or where we have not given the time and attention to get healthy on a particular subject. And I feel like a lot of times, particularly in circles of faith, the response to fear is drive it out, get it out. Um, we're, we're not going to entertain it. We're just going to cast it aside. And I feel where I'm sitting, I won't speak for everybody on the call and certainly won't speak for everybody in matters of faith, but I feel that that is profoundly unhealthy. That to respond to fear in the way of like, we're just going to drive it out. Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, just like completely. I don't hear when Jesus, as he did many times, and as angels did when they came to biblical figures in the narrative, 
when they said fear not, I don't read that as this thing of like, oh, stop, stop, stop being afraid. I read it as more like an engagement of these are the reasons why you don't have to be afraid right now, or these are the things that we can, you know, just approach this whole subject or this whole conversation differently. And I feel like a lot of times broad circles of faith language are just like, no, 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 don't be afraid. There's no, there's no place for fear here. And I, I just don't see it that well, way. Well, it's not a scold. It's a, it's an encouragement. Right. 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 Yes, yes. 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 Reed, what I would say is that what you're, I don't disagree at all with what you're describing. What I would say is yeah. that that's a, that's a type of um, <clears throat> what Lauren Winner in um, the dangers of Christian practice calls characteristic damage, which if that yeah. sounds like an inflammatory title, the book is is not in any way. It's it, it's just about how everything that exists, because it exists, is a fallen thing. So it, the it, it is about pra- Christian practices and about yeah. how um, uh, uh, she especially focuses on prayer, baptism, Eucharist, mm-hmm. good and necessary things for discipleship. But they have a, a again. Every created thing is a fallen thing, and therefore, it, what characteristic damage means is, so when this goes wrong, it goes wrong in this predictable way because it's this kind of thing, um, yeah. which, which again, it, like, it gives us some insight into the thing because it's this kind of thing. It goes wrong in this way. It doesn't mean, so actually, <laughs> spoiler alert, prayer's bad. We should stop. Or like, Eucharist <laughs> is bad. Eucharist bad. No more Eucharist. Um, <laughs> uh, so that that's why I'm only mentioning this to say, I think what you're describing is a characteristic damage. Mm. Um, but I think that all subjects of modernity, which is us, which is yeah. everyone listening yeah. to this, our, our principal fear is like our, the admission of how afraid we are. Um, yeah. the, 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 mm-hmm. the primary thing we repress is like, so we feel it. We feel fear constantly, regularly, um, like characteristically with certain things, but the most terrifying thing is conceding. I am horrified of this. Uh, yeah. Yes, to others, but also to myself. Because doesn't that admit that I am not the master of my destiny? Doesn't that admit mm-hmm. that like I am radically contingent and limited and in significant ways right. weak? Right. Like I am extremely vulnerable. I cannot afford. Uh, to be scared, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and so I, I think that that's almost like the meta fear, like the admission that I am afraid. I am very afraid. So mm-hmm. um, I, I completely agree about confronting fear, and I think that confronting can be it, it can take the form of befriending, right? Because like yeah, right. We we have to fear. If if, if uh, Alan Jacobs in his book How to Think, he has a great example of like mm-hmm. uh, a person who just lacks the ability to fear. And this person, like a real person is constantly taken advantage of, um, exploited, manipulated because Mm. she cannot recognize this person is leading me around, has no concern for my good and is taking advantage of me Uh, and, and falls into like certain, like, uh, I recognize potential harm in this thing. Right. 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 Fear, fear can be perverted. Right. But fear has a purpose. So I, I, I agree with befriending fear. And I also would agree that there are fears that we have to say, I cannot, I cannot any longer give you this 
this power that that is yeah. I cannot I cannot like give my life over to you. I, I I have been I have been serving my own like portions of my life on this altar to you, mm. and you cannot have it anymore. Mm. So it, it, both and I don't think that uh, I don't yeah. think that only one suffices because there are so many things that we are afraid of and ways that we are afraid of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I resonate quite a bit with that. Um, so, so is there, um, this is going to be a little clunky, but I don't have a way to frame it in like a question. Are there any additional observations, uh, either about fear, about this essay, about, uh, you know, basically this, any, any of the things that we've been talking before we wind to a close? Just said, I I ain't trying to bang anything. Okay? I just want that to <laughs> just. I need it on the record. I just yep, like yeah. I just, I'm just here, and, that, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, that's great, Ian. Good job. Glad you're not here banging. <laughs> it's just just for the record. Thanks, okay, it's, yeah. it's 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 locked in Pod World. Right, yes. um, <laughs> so let it so, be written. So let it be done. <laughs> that's great. Um, so unlike unlike our typical format, where we would then go to like the fog meter and stuff, we 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 approached this story collection very differently. Um, we we you know have spent the past four podcast episodes, uh, different hosts circling up around different stories, just kind of spending some time diving deeper into some things. Some of the stories were you know, largely viewed by the hosts as great and, and released some substantive conversations. Others were sillier and a little bit, you know, more pedantic, uh, in their way, but, but all a lot of really fun conversations. And so we're going to forego the actual fog meter, but I would like as a final beat, um, just, uh, just kind of a general takeaway from the stories you read from this general little collection, would you recommend, uh, Andy, I'll start with you. Would you recommend that people check out Stephen King's very first earliest short story collection? Would you recommend people check out Night Shift? Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I think if you're, if you're looking for something that quick, easy, you know, you, you, if you want something quick, a bathroom read, that's good. Nah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's worth it. Um, awesome. Not to say that it's, that it's it's bad bathroom fiction. No, of but, course, no, of course. Um, no, I get it. But it, but they're in a shampoo bottle. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Ian, would you recommend Night Shift to people? I would. Yes, I would. Uh, just about wholeheartedly recommend mm-hmm. it. Um, I I would probably say like, hey, they're not uniformly fantastic, but like the mm-hmm. good is really good, and mm-hmm. and even the lowest points are not. Uh, they're not howlers, so yeah. you know nothing, nothing to bang here. You know that's what I would say. <laughs> that's all of what emerged from this conversation. Good lord, <laughs> um, Nathan, would you recommend Night Shift to people? I think they are uniformly fantastic. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. I, I, you know, one of the things that I just enjoyed um, and was. Honestly, I didn't know it would end up there, but that you put um, I Am the Doorway in your top five listicle was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's something fun about not getting too high minded with some of these tales that take me back to like being an adolescent and just like mm. reading yep. scary shit in my room and, and you know, sure. just like yeah. having fun with that kind of form and, and genre. And so, you know, if, if that um, 
holds any appeal to anybody listening to this. Yeah. It's a, and to Andy's point, they're brief, you know, most of them mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. 10, 15 pages, maybe. Yes. Yeah. This entire collection is shorter than most of his novels. The entire <laughs> right. collection of stories is, is shorter than most of his novels and not for nothing. That was because a lot of them were published in pulp magazines before he had become a known commodity. In fact, what's great about so many of these stories is so many of them are like they were written before he wrote Carrie or uh, Rage or any either any of his first novels. Um, these were all written before he was a name or anything. And so there's a rawness to them. There's a kind of a, a brisk energy that you don't get in a lot of places. All of that to say, I highly recommend it. I would, I would say... While it's, you know, there's another collection of his that I'm sure we'll get to at some point down the road that I think pound for pound might be stronger than this. But if it's not his best short story collection, this is this is easily second place, but it might very well be his best short story collection. Is it Skeleton Crew, Reed? Or is it? No, 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 no. I love both of those, but I was I was citing Everything's Eventual. I love Everything's Eventual. Oh, I think okay. every I think Everything's Eventual has not only not a clunker in there, but some really, really great stories. Some some like high watermarks for his material. Like Man in the Black Coat is in there, and um, Little Sisters of Eluria is in that collection. So there's there's lots of great stuff. Look at what anyway. a rube I sound like. No, <laughs> no, 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 but, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, did listen, you bang it? did you bang it? <laughs> wow it goes completely off the rails here we go this is what happens this is what happens at the waffle party on the on the fear of god is if you hear the waffle party rocking don't come knocking (laughs) so awesome well listen uh unanimous recommendations everybody should check out night shift listen if you just want to pick up the book and you know read it in spurts over time that this it's really accessible to that it's really great in the bathroom Hey, listen, wherever you're going to go. Listen, I'm going to exit this conversation. <laughs> I'm, before we get, <laughs> before Guys, I'm in the bathroom right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably our shortest quarterly what? king. Which I'm sure <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but we I think all got to go. <laughs> I think that you puts gotta it. Go. In you got to go. You got to go. Um, <laughs> so listeners, I want to encourage uh, three things. First of all, I would encourage you as we all have to check out night shift. Second of all, uh, we've just spent uh, not only this conversation, but the four podcast episodes uh, previous to this. Uh, lots of hosts, members of the Fog community joined together in different iterations to cover these stories. Pa- please consider becoming a Patreon, uh, a patron, uh, patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, or go to our website, fearofgodpodcast.com. Uh, consider just dropping us five bucks for that month to hear the patron segments on these because I think they were really, really great. I think they were really strong. Uh, yes, I'm a little biased, but I genuinely think they were great conversations. Um, so yeah, check that Wait. check that out. What? Yeah. And about your um, program, do you do anything besides exclusive episodes? Or is there something like coffee hours or brew hours? Or Man, something? Andy, we are not paying you enough. Yes, that is in fact true. Um, so as a matter of fact, uh, if you sign up to become a patron, uh, then once every month-ish, um, we get together for happy hour horror hangouts, which is a lot of fun. Just people getting together and chatting, shooting the breeze about what we've watched or what we've read, anything like that. Uh, there's lots of lots and lots of perks uh, to becoming a patron. So yeah, there's lots of advantages to that. Um, so please consider that. Uh, so that's that's my first big recommendation and second recommendation. Third recommendation is for next week. So next week, 
Nathan and I are doing something a little different. We do have an upcoming series coming up, but next week is going to be a one-off. It's going to be the start of something that we're going to do, you know, in spits and spurts throughout the year. Um, uh, but we are going to be having a one-off episode for a film called One Cut of the Dead. If you've never seen this film, if you've never heard of this film, I am not going to share anything with you about it and would encourage you to just go into it as blind as you can. Uh, obviously, keep your eyes open for the movie, but go into it knowing nothing um, and watch one cut of the dead. You will not regret it. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. And join us next week for that conversation. Uh, Ian, thank you so much. Andy, thank you so much. Nathan, no, thank you. So thank much. you. <laughs> thank and as we say... Yes. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week. Thank you, boys. Always a pleasure to see you guys. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. That was amazing. It was like we could see the finish line. It was like just get <laughs> hold to it, the hold it, line. like just just hold it, hold it please, right there, like just, just please hold it. You're almost the there. End. It's right. You're there. almost there. And then <laughs> it says, "If you're spits and spurts, you know." <laughs> 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 yep, exactly. Oh. I was just testing your resolve. <laughs> I, and seeing, you know, I don't please. have resolve. <laughs> like, There's nothing resolved. <laughs> <laughs> um everybody smile for your camera. Oh, okay. Hi everybody. <laughs>